the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and great to have Bill Bennett with me again. How are you today, Bill? I'm good, thanks. Excellent, excellent. Uh, maybe just to fill listeners in who might be new to the show, maybe you can remind everyone where you fit into this big wide world of tech and journalism in New Zealand. Well, I'm a, yeah, I'm a journalist. I write about technology and business. Um, and just recently, it's been a bit more about business and a bit less about tech, but that's just how things are rolling at the moment. Um, it comes around tend to specialise a bit more in what's going on in telecommunications. And um, I now produce a weekly newsletter on what's going on in New Zealand telecommunications, which is out every Friday. Excellent. Oh, that's good. Folks should definitely make a point of heading across to billbennett.co.nz and uh, and signing up for that if they're, uh, if they're not already on the list, right? Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Well. And, <laughs> and uh, look, a, th- a thank you uh, to our show partners, Two Degrees, Vodafone, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, Cyclone and Aruba for their, uh, their support. Uh, now let's jump in. Uh, a fair bit going on, as always, uh, some on the local front, some uh, more global but relevant to us uh, here in New Zealand. Uh, first up, uh, invisible urban charging have been in the media. Um, Auckland-based firm who have some you know, some pretty innovative um, electric vehicle uh, charging infrastructure, and they've been working really on the on the global uh, stage. And they've announced plans to install six thousand electric vehicle uh, chargers in uh, sunny Florida uh, in the coming coming months. Uh, so going into sort of commercial uh, parking locations and uh, um, other um, parking parking lots, uh, always, uh, always encouraging to, uh, to see New Zealand, uh, New Zealand firms, uh, you know, taking uh, New Zealand innovations out, uh, out globally, Bill. That's, uh, that's quite a sale, 6,000 uh, EV Oh. EV charges. I mean, that's sort of well, well into the millions, millions of dollars. That's for sure. It is, and um, yeah, invisible. They are. They're a bit invisible here as well. I mean, they we don't hear much of that that particular company in New Zealand. Um, but I was, I was actually seeing, looking at that story, thinking, I wonder what six thousand EV charges would do for this country if we had six thousand new charges put in around New Zealand. It would certainly, um, certainly stop that worry that you have about getting from say Auckland to Wellington in a Tesla wouldn't it yeah I mean Auckland to Wellington is is well it's is not really an issue from uh, from uh, in a in a in a Tesla or probably most electric vehicles and interestingly uh you know we we've We've got the situation where the the range of our electric vehicles is growing, and there's more and more charges to fill in the gaps. But yeah, certainly if uh, uh, Nigel uh, Broomhall, who's the founder and CEO at uh, Invisible Ur- Urban Charging, um, finds himself in a position where he wants to test a bit more of this infrastructure locally, uh, I don't think there'd be too many complaints, yeah. right? So uh, um, there's no, actually, there's always gaps, and and the more the merrier. In fact, I stopped. Uh, <laughs> I stopped in uh, Tuarangi recently, 
when, uh, when when we went up, uh, we were going up Ruapehu, and I thought it'd be good to get a little bit of a uh, little bit of extra juice on the on the way from uh, Talpo, and we stopped there. Somebody else was charging at the the kind of the one uh, fast charger that was there uh, from ChargeNet, and we only had probably had to wait. Uh, Couple of minutes or, or so. It wasn't, it wasn't very long anyway. A few minutes and uh, and we're away. Uh, but while we were charging, somebody else turned up and and they wanted to charge. So we at, there are times we could do with more uh, more infrastructure. Uh, but uh, yeah, those with a Tesla are certainly in a in a uh, much nicer position than those with any other uh, electric vehicle at, at this point because of uh, because of the the number of uh, uh, Tesla. Um, stalls in addition to the the general ones that of course are, are available to everyone. Yeah, um, and there are there are still areas where there's not much coverage, aren't there? Yeah, look, I was looking at uh, a trip around the South Island over the winter and uh, getting yeah. from Wanaka up through um, Haast and uh, up to uh, Fox Glacier and 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 that area. Uh, at this time of year, your vehicle's going to have a reduced uh, a reduced range because it's uh, it's colder. Uh, and if you the, if you're you know travelling you know, hundred k's an hour or, or so, which maybe you're not on a on a on a chunk of those roads, but roads, but some of them you would be. Uh, you add all these different bits and pieces together, and it and it gives you. Or adds up to a sort of negative range compared to the advertised yeah. range. Put it put it that way. Uh, and uh, and and an older vehicle that's well older, um, you know, three three years old. In in my case, you end up getting this. Um, and and of course, this varies from technology to technology, manufacturer to manufacturer. Um, but with Teslas, they, they probably tend to drop off that eight to ten percent of range uh, in their first yeah. sort of you know three to five years uh, and then it tends tends to level out um, but uh, of course the the newer ones have got a 20 percent more range to start with so uh, looking at that thinking oh it could be it could be a little bit tight at this time of year so uh, yeah now uh, also on the uh, the the local front I saw um, that nano girl labs have uh, launched a little uh, creator project on Kickstarter which uh, which looks like a, a really good initiative for uh, getting getting young people involved with technology from a hands-on perspective actually learning how these things are built and I'm sure uh, Bill when you were you were growing up there's a there was a level of technology that uh, that youngsters could could learn oh. certainly when I was growing up it was uh, a crystal set to uh, build your own Little radio, oh, uh, yes. and so on, right? So there are these things. So, well, they've yeah. taken a sort of a book out of that, uh, you know, that what what, what was common uh, going back to my childhood, and their uh, their project that they're looking to get funded through uh, through uh, the, the Kickstarter um, is build your own Bluetooth speaker, and uh, yeah, it looks looks like a looks like a fun sort of project. And it's you know it's good to see them you know put, putting something out also onto the international um, stage by by going on uh, Kickstarter, which I think they've done uh, previously with uh, with one of their one of their cookbook projects. So yeah, it's kind of fun. It's exactly what got me started and interested in technology in the first place. When I was about twelve, it would be fifty years ago now. 
um, or almost 50 years ago, my parents bought me a Philips electronic kit, which was like a, you, could, you know, you could build circuits and so on. You didn't need a soldering iron. You, you could just string things together. And there were projects in there, like you say, crystal radio and things like a, an automatic light switch where you'd wave your hand and a, uh, uh, and this was this was before there were LEDs. You couldn't, you know, LEDs didn't exist at that time. Right. Um, but I got started on that. But within a few years, I was building circuits with LEDs and breadboards and so on. And by the time I was in the um, getting towards the end of high school, I started building my own synthesizer. So, you know, that's how I got started in this game. And um, I got pretty damn good with a soldering iron at that stage. I can tell you. Um, but it's, it's exactly what kicked me off on that whole thinking about these things. And, of course, at that stage, digital was, there wasn't much in the way of digital stuff. So it was, it was all analog circuitry and so on. But by the time I got to university, um, it meant that I just completely aced first-year stuff to do with computer science and so on because I was, I'd done it all when I was a teenager. So it was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's cool. I, I, yeah, I think we we yes, have so much that's available to us cheap and instantly these days that these desires and in, in some ways have uh, you know to to learn um, can well they can easily fall by the wayside without a, a little bit of uh, effort to uh, to think about well how can a learning opportunity uh, be created. So yeah, I think it's pretty good uh, to back them on uh, on Kickstarter. Get one of these uh, Bluetooth speakers is a hundred dollars, and you can do them as a uh, as a gift as well. And I think that that includes an option to uh, you know just just put in a uh, hundred dollars, and then that they will distribute that to uh, to somebody that would uh, would benefit. So. Yeah, really cool project. They're looking to raise one hundred and fifty thousand uh, US. So yeah, all the best to um, Michelle Dickinson and the team on that. They look like they're uh, they're around 10 percent of the way. So get in there and um, and give them some support. Uh, they're still uh, still over a, well over a week to go there. So um, yeah, jump jump in if uh, yeah. if you want to be a part of that. I think it's great. Uh, now let's it's talk about brilliant. Vodafone, Bill. Vodafone and My yeah. Republic, and uh, the uh, the return of the MVNO, Mobile Virtual Network Operator. Um, you've written about this on yeah. your website I mean, at BillBennett.co.nz, and uh, no doubt in your newsletter. So maybe you can uh, you can fill us in a little bit on. Uh, on what's going on here, and uh, whether you think this is, is something that's going to be successful for uh, Vodafone and for uh, for My Republic, who are you know really extending their brand now to uh, to a to a mobile um, offering, which is is somewhat different to any of the other offerings in the in the market. So um, yeah, it yeah. looks 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 like a smart uh, a smart approach. Well, the thing about the networks, mobile virtual networks, is they're, they're huge just in most other countries around the world, and they're not big in New Zealand. I saw somewhere the other day uh, something saying, they, uh, I think it was actually Vodafone said that they at one point they were 1.8% of the New Zealand market. I don't think they were ever at that high, actually. I think it was, I think the number's actually smaller than that. The biggest virtual network before now um, has been 
um, the companies that were in the focus group, so the Cool Pluses and um, Orcons and so on. Which, but of course, they're now wrapped into two degrees, and they have their own networks. They don't they don't need to be uh, virtual anymore. I mean, I think they still are for the moment, but pretty soon they won't be. So, um, so whatever market there was for the smaller operators would pretty much have dried up with that merger going through. I mean, there's still Warehouse um, Warehouse has an offering, and I think um, uh, Kogan, I think, offers something in New Zealand too. Yeah, but they're, they're really, yeah, but they're really tiny. They're, they're, they're very small indeed, and they're not hugely successful. I mean, if you go to, say, Australia, there's Virgin Mobile, which is quite big, and, and that's and that's the key to it, is to have a brand which um, you know is rec- instantly recognisable with consumers, which is why, say, the warehouse, you'd expect the warehouse to perhaps do better than it has done. Uh, but, but the warehouse has never put a huge amount of effort into it, and that's partly because the financial arrangements of the virtual networks in New Zealand is not as good as you'll find in overseas countries. Um, and that's partly to do with the shape of the market. It's partly to do with the size of the market and so on. But it's also to do with the fact that the, the, the big carriers, particularly Vodafone and Spark, um, because recently Two Degrees probably wasn't as, as big a, an organisation, were reluctant to get into this game. Now, overseas, one of the reasons why uh, telcos are very keen to have to offer virtual networks to, um, to companies like Virgin and so on, is because you reach this point in the market where um, consumers, are, they're a bit fed up with Spark, they're a bit fed up with Vodafone, they've tried two degrees and maybe they don't have the coverage, and there's nowhere for them to go. But if there was a, you know, a Virgin or a, a warehouse or whatever, and it offered, offered an interesting deal, they could switch and here's the rub, right? If, if say, for example, they were on Vodafone and they switched to My Republic under the new arrangement, Vodafone still gets three quarters of the value of that account. Um, they get the bulk of the revenue, so they don't they don't lose a customer. They lose 0.75 of a customer. Um, and what it does is it actually helps it, it helps the big telcos keep their competitive positioning in the market when you when you look at it like that. So it's worked really well for some of the overseas telcos. And, and like I say, they've never really pushed it here in New Zealand. They haven't pushed it because they haven't really needed to. But with Vodafone coming out of the traps and saying they're going to reboot that sector and, and making a real effort to push it, that means that Spark and Two Degrees are going to have to follow suit reasonably soon, or they're going to start losing overall market share to all these mini Vodafone brands that you know that are traveling around under other under other other labels. So um, it's it's actually significant for um, competition in the market. And we don't I mean I don't I think it's a long time since we've mentioned um, Simon Bridges on the podcast, but when he was the communications minister, this was the one really significant thing he did during his, I think he was communications minister for about nine months, but he got the Commerce Commission to go and look at the the, uh, the virtual market. Yes. And it's, and it's something that has been looked at. And I, there's a lot of encouragement to make this work because it does huge, it you know, has a huge effect on the competitive of, of competitiveness of the market. Not that our mobile phone market isn't, 
you know, highly competitive already it is. But um, it just makes things better again for consumers, I think. It's a, yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting one because we are quite a small market in terms of the total number of people. There is something of a, of a challenge, particularly if yeah, launching a mobile virtual network operator isn't going to isn't going to you know, move the needle. But what we've got at the moment is Spark and Vodafone being you know pretty close in their market share. And then, you know, two, two degrees, um, you'd know the numbers actually probably better, better than I would, but uh, certainly two, two degrees have been, you know, sitting a, a fair way, um, you know, a fair way back, although, uh, you know, continuing to, uh, to grow that, uh, that market share. So in, in round numbers, it's rough, very roughly 40, 40, 20. So 40 Vodafone, 40 Spark, 22 yep. degrees. And there's, there's a little bit of complication in there because um, Skinny is completely spark. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's no sort of, there is brand differentiation, but there's not much differentiation. And some people like to count Skinny as a separate case, but it's not really. It's, it's just, um, it's just a, you know, an offshoot of spark. So, um, yeah, I mean, it does change. It changes the competitive dynamic of the market. Who would be who would be most threatened by Vodafone pushing this? I think it would, I think initially it will be Spark who who would probably be the most threatened. But Spark can roll out its own uh, virtual network tomorrow, you know. And it, I would imagine that somewhere deep in the bowels of the Spark building, there's a team working on it right now. Yeah. Oh well, it's uh, I guess it's it's yet to be seen whether this uh, this round of uh, mobile virtual network operators is going to yeah actually work very well because as you say they've uh, they've never picked up that much market share other other than skinny which as you say is is really just um, yeah it's well it's part of it's part of Spark but it, it does. I think from a consumer perspective, it looks like a, a, a traditional mobile virtual network operator type play, except that it's actually directly part yeah. of Spark. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, a somewhat, somewhat different, uh, different approach there. There's something else I just should mention, yeah. mention before we stop talking about that. And that is, is that um, in the last year, there's been a huge shift of people away from prepay to postpay mobile and that's changing the market too and the reason that's happened is because um those unlimited plans are really really good value um so there's been a, there's been a huge shift away from uh, prepay and that that will have some impact on what happens with the, uh, the virtual operators too yeah now we should uh, we'd be remiss not to actually go into what this arrangement sees my republic take uh, take into the market and they've shared with us their uh, their new plans. So uh, they're, what I've seen is, is three plans, uh, Rocket Light, Rocket, and Rocket Max. Uh, so they certainly sound fast, and uh, and and it aligns with the My Republic, uh, you know, branding that we've uh, we've seen over the years. And what they're talking about is a um, rather than sort of what we're used to with unlimited data plans on our networks here in New Zealand, where you get, for instance, 40 gigs and then it slows down, 
what they're offering is what from from what I've read so far anyway, is that these are are much more like a true unlimited offering, but the way that they control it is by putting a cap on the speed from the start. Yeah. So Rocket Light uh, is an offering that gives you five megabits per second. Rocket gives you ten megabits per second, and Rocket Max gives you twenty megabits per second, uh, which for actually just individual mobile use um, might well suit you know suit some people pretty well. So that Rocket Light, the the five megabits, um, you know, uncapped sixty dollars a month. Uh, Rocket seventy five, and then for their their top the 20 megabits per second offering $100 uh, per month. So I guess part of it's going to come down to also what they're able to offer in terms of handsets uh, if they, you know, if they delve much down uh, that track because it tends to be folks that are on those higher end uh, plans who are, are often buying a, a reasonably sort of top-end uh, smartphone, uh, you know, tied yeah. in uh, to their offering. Um, and, of course, as as is quite common, there's a bit of a sweetener uh, for being a MyRepublic uh, customer and having, uh, you know, having your ultra-fast broadband uh, with them. Can't quite see that with the uh, notes I'm looking at here, but off the top of my head, it was... Uh, it was $20 a month, and they've got a $8 a day uh, roaming option there as well. One of the things about that is I, it, it's going to be really interesting how that pans out because I put it to you that unless you're, unless you're tethering or you have some specialist application, you're really not going to notice the difference between 5, 10, and 20 megabits per second on a mobile phone. I mean, 5 is good enough to stream high definition video on your phone. So um, what are you doing with 20 megabits per second that you can't do with five? You know, if you're, like I say, if you're tethering, yes. If you've got a high data, you've got an application which uses a high, a large amount of data, you'll need it. But otherwise, I think it's, it's going to actually show up some interesting things about, um, some interesting ideas about how we use mobile phones and how we judge what we're getting from them. I mean, if you if you think back to the, all the fuss about the introduction of 5G, when it comes to, I mean, 5G has massive implications for fixed wireless and for other um, applications. Put on your handset, you don't notice anything different if you go from 3G to 4G to 5G, almost. Um, I was, uh, earlier today, I was stuffing around with the router and it wasn't working, so I had to do all my work on a, a mobile connection. And for some reason, today I could only connect to, uh, on a 3G. I don't know why, but it's only 3G today. And um, the performance wasn't really any different from connecting on 5G. So, um, you know, it's gonna, it's actually going to show some interesting insights into how that works for consumers. Yeah, I think obviously it depends what usage is, and in certain cases you're going to see a big difference between three G and 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 yeah. and five G. But uh, you know, at at times you won't, and they've certainly covered off some recommendations of in terms of their streaming. Now, I did just want to add a little bit more information. I made that comment about 
$20 off the monthly plan, which actually seemed pretty impressive. That's just for the first three months. After that, if you've got um, a, a fixed connection, uh, broadband uh, connection with My Republic, that discount drops down to uh, $5 a month ongoing. Um, because yeah, that was making their uh, their 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 base sixty dollar a month plan look uh, look look pretty enticing actually. If that was yeah. going to be forty ongoing, but um, even so, I think there there will there will be a segment of the market that uh, would would find this quite a nice uh, sweet spot. So I'm curious to see how it goes. I I don't think they necessarily pick up a, a lot of customers, but it is at the the higher end, which is of course the yeah, these are the most valuable customers to be picking up, and mostly what we've seen in the past with mobile vir- virtual network operators uh, is it's kind of a a, a discount, low cost uh, play, uh, where whereas this is yeah. is actually quite different uh, to that. So yeah, let, let's see how it uh, how it plays out. Now, lots of other things going on in the uh, the big wide world of tech. Intel uh, <laughs> seem to be going through. Uh, a bit of a meltdown of uh, of of sorts, and really they're they're struggling at a level maybe we weren't uh, we weren't expecting. Bill, you know they've had their revenue really drop, and uh, you know looking back a year ago they were celebrating a uh, uh, a five billion dollar profit. And here they've uh, they've just in the in the last uh, quarter uh, recorded 454 million. This is US dollars loss for the quarter. Yeah, that's it's it's not not really where they where they should be in terms of getting their business uh, back on track, which it sounded like they were going to do. In fact, their their revenue, you know, much much lower than uh, than expectations. Uh, you know, under about two and a half billion. Uh, Lower in terms of what analysts were expecting them to uh, uh, to announce. We've actually talked a little about Intel before in, mm. in a previous podcast when I was in the studio. I remember um, there's 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 two huge forces that have uh, uh, having an impact on Intel at the bottom end, or not necessarily the bottom end as such, but lower down the market. They're, Intel processors are being killed by Apple in the in the laptop market. The um, the Apple the performance of the Apple laptops is so far out in front of the Windows um, Intel machines that it's not real. And it's it's pretty interesting if you if you follow the um, the reviews in the um, the international technology press, the reviews of laptops and so on. I've noticed in the last few months that the um, all the reviewers have stopped comparing Windows machines with Apple machines. That if you know if there's a new a Dell or a new Lenovo or a new HP laptop, it's no longer there's no longer a comparison made with Apple. And that's if that's because if you do benchmarks, the graphs just make the Windows machines look a bit silly. I mean, the the, the Apple machines are. In, in cases, twice the speed of even relatively high-end um, Windows laptops, and that's that's dramatic. And the thing is, is that Apple has been there, have been out in front now for about eighteen months on performance. And um, I, I was expecting that uh, about now Intel would be catching up on speed, but it's not happening. Um, if anything, with the um, the M2 chip, the gap's even wider than it was. 
So at that end of the market, they're being creamed by Apple. And they're also being uh, in the in, within the Wintel part of the market, they're being, they're being creamed by AMD. Then you go up the market into the, uh, the server end of the market. And what's happening there, of course, is all the cloud companies are rolling their own processes. They don't, they're not buying, they're not buying kit from Intel. So, and the, the server market is because of cloud, the server market is, you know, depressed as a, as a, I mean, it, it may be still making money, but it's not, it's not using a, a huge volumes of um, Intel chips. So they're being attacked on all fronts suddenly. And they don't seem to have answers. They seem to be behind the play when it comes to building their their, their factories as well. There's a lot wrong. And I think I think the days, I mean, I wouldn't say it's game over for Intel because, you know, 25 years ago, people were saying it was game over for IBM and they're still around. But Intel are never going to be a dominant company ever again. That's just not going to happen. Um, they they will remain important for a long time, but they will not dominate the market again. Uh, and um, the future just does not look good for them. I don't think they've got any answers. I, and I, I've seen the, um, the this CEO came in with some big promises a year ago, and um, it's it's not happening. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and I don't know how you pronounce his name correctly, but uh, Pat Gelsinger no, uh, I, is, is, yeah, is, is, <laughs> is, is his name. Um, and you're, you're right. I mean, he, he came in with, you know, fair bit of, fair bit of bluster. And so I'm, uh, I'm very curious to see you know, where it goes from here. But you're, you're correct in that, you know, the world has changed massively. I'm not sure that we're reading quite the same things on on the performance differences. Uh, I mean, certainly the the performance is very is very strong with the M1 and the M2 and the M1 Pro etc. Um, chips, but it, it probably stands out the most from a, um, a power consumption uh, perspective. And that you know, the, the, what we're seeing is the uh, Apple uh, MacBook products have got uh, you know a lot. A lot better in terms of uh, uh, you know battery life uh, compared to what we're seeing you know on the on the Windows uh, side in a lot of cases, and uh, it's that sort of power consumption metric which is is down a lot more, and that's without to uh, oh, you know okay. poo poo the performance because the performance is is very is very good, and um, ultimately it does come down to the actual laptops in the market, and those so. You know some of the newer chips from from Intel coming through have you know have some some nice performance, and they you know they might uh, they might be able to uh, you know beat the Apple chips, but uh, that's not relevant if you can't actually buy those devices today. So uh, it's all very yeah, well having uh, a benchmark that 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 says it. Uh, does better, but if the battery life is is too too low or you, you can't buy it, then uh, yeah, you kind of uh, have yeah. to take that off the table, don't you? Oh, it does depend a bit on what you're doing as well. I think if you're if you're using a lot of spreadsheet work or a lot of database work, then probably Windows still the way the way to go. But with um, but you know, for a casual user who just picks up a laptop and wants to work, um, my I've got a sitting on my desk here, my M1. MacBook Air, which I've had now for some time, and um, I recently tested a, a quite high-end Windows machine, which cost 
I think the list price was almost twice the price of the MacBook Air. And the MacBook Air is actually faster. So, uh, and you know, the Mac, MacBook Air is Apple's entry level computer. So, so um, the, the performance difference is profound um, for, for most people. But there are applications where you would certainly want to go the Windows route, for sure. Now, um, looking at the at the US and and I guess sort of looking you know globally at some of the the supply chain uh, issues, uh, geopolitical issues, we've seen that the US wants to change the picture as far as uh, chip manufacturing is concerned, and that is uh, part of the picture as far as Intel is concerned as well because. The uh, Chips Act, which has uh, has now um, you know been uh, uh, coming is coming into force, uh, will allocate fifty two billion US dollars of public money um, to subsidise the building of um, um, chip fabrication uh, plants, which of course uh, that creates a bit of an opportunity for uh, for Intel. Uh, Micron, who, who of course um, you know make a lot of memory, uh, they're uh, they're in there as well. But uh, you know the, these extra funds will help, but it's going to take a long time to build these new fi- chip fabrication plants. And uh, you know we might be looking at the at the benefits or the the shift in terms of manufacturing. Um, you know taking up to a, a decade before that uh, that maybe gets a little bit more. Uh, balance to it, shall we say, where uh, where some of the the risks that we have uh, today are um, yeah uh, are addressed. So it's I think it's going to be uh, very interesting to see what the next uh, next few few years hold on uh, uh, that perspective. Now um, looking at uh, Indonesia, two hundred and seventy five million people live in Indonesia, and they are going to be struggling a little bit to get access to uh, to some internet services unless they're uh, they, they're uh, I, I guess using uh, using uh, VPNs now because uh, Indonesia has banned access to Steam, uh, which is going to impact uh, gamers, uh, games from Epic, uh, PayPal, uh, and. Yahoo are in there um, amongst uh, amongst others. Uh, and they failed to comply with uh, new requ- restrictive uh, content moderation uh, laws that have been put into place in Indonesia. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty heavy, heavy-handed, isn't it, Bill? Oh, sure, for sure. I mean, what's going on is it's not just Indonesia. There's been this trend towards siloing sections of the internet for some time now so um you know the russian internet experience is quite different from the chinese experience um, from the western experience and now of course from indonesia which is a another large nation which has the ability to do this Um, and that's something which you know is very much a thing of our times is that we're we're moving into quite separate and to a degree disconnected internets i mean um you know, the, the, the global giants that we talk about all the time, they don't really feature it much in um, China and they don't feature that much in Russia either. So, um, and, and yet Russia and China both have their own homegrown giants as well. So we're seeing that kind of, that silo effect taking place. 
Um, and, and as you mentioned, there's obviously some sort of geopolitical stuff going on there too. But it's interesting that Indonesia has done this now. I mean, I, I'm kind of at a loss to know what their motivation is for doing it at, at the moment. Um, but it's, it's certainly going to help them grow their own market. And in a way, it's a form of protectionism to do this as well. It's to, you know, it's, it would encourage homegrown um, service providers and so on to operate in, out of Indonesia. Yeah, and it doesn't look as though it's it's likely to remain, uh, you know, permanent in uh, in in all cases, or maybe not in any cases. And uh, I saw that uh, that that PayPal had been, uh, you know, granted um, uh, um, access to uh, to you know to continue uh, operating for for another five days, uh, as of maybe forty eight hours ago. So. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one to watch. But we are getting this this new flavour of the internet, which is uh, a lot more fragmented and becomes sort of yeah. u- somewhat unique based on where you are in the world. And uh, there's there's probably somewhere there's probably some good things about that uh, for countries to control their own destiny. But I yeah imagine uh, a lot of that isn't uh, isn't very good. Overall, I was, I was just going to mention that there's a there's a similar thing going on, of course, in Europe with all their data protection acts and so on, uh, where where um, you know Europe is start, the Europeans are starting to have a different experience of these things to Americans, for example. And looks, you know, some of what's coming out of uh, of Europe, I think, has you know, there's there's some really good upsides uh, to that. So yeah, um, yeah let, let let's see how it. Uh, how it plays out, but I, you know, I hope it doesn't uh, doesn't go, you know, quite down the the track of what we've uh, what we've seen in China. Um, a couple of other things wanted to uh, wanted to touch on. Uh, we don't have um, we don't have too much time left, but uh, looking at uh, Samsung, they are um, adding a repair mode to um, their smartphones. Uh, it's at least in the in the Korean market. Uh, which I I find um, like a really a really smart move, and it's it's basically effectively to uh, to hide your your data on your phone if it has to go in for uh, for repair. And um, look, I mean, it just it just seems to make sense, doesn't it? Why don't all phones have this? If you need to send a, a phone in for repair, um, and you know, and an ability to uh, to flip it into into that mode obviously depends what it is whether you've actually got any control of it at all and there are other cases where uh, you know sometimes your phone just needs a, a complete uh, a complete wipe but I think from a, a, a privacy perspective this sounds uh, sounds like it should be the new normal well well let me tell you um, there's a dark side to this there's a, oh, there's, there's, you're quite right there's a light side to it and you just mentioned that there's a dark side to it as well. And that is most people that get hit for having things like child pornography and so on on their phones, it happens when their phones or their computers go in for repair. And that's the, that's the dark side of it, is that you, you, you will be able to hide that kind of, or people will assume that they can hide that kind of material as well. So it's good. It's a good thing. And privacy is a good thing in absolute terms but we've managed to we've managed uh, we as a world we've managed to do a lot to reduce the incidence of child pornography and so on and 
other really bad things because that comes out when people get their stuff repaired. So it's good, but it's not 100% good. Yeah. Yep. No, it's a it's a it's a fair point. Fair point, Bill. And and this this is that uh, that balancing act that we you know that we have on these things and and uh, and around uh, encryption is getting that stuff uh, that stuff right. But you know, in general, this seems like a a, a pretty good case. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I mean sure p- these things can be can be stumbled across in those sort of scenarios, but it's. Uh, it's it's probably not part of any sort of um, you know policing plan uh, for finding such content to uh, to block this type of functionality. So I imagine we will probably see uh, you know see it go more broadly. broadly. Uh, so yeah, I my my thought on this is uh, this is you know over overall pretty positive from uh, yeah, from 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 Samsung. Um, but it, you know, maybe it does. It ra- raises that that question where, uh, you know, we've I think it's it's been on uh, on the Apple side around AI that maybe you know is is able to look for the most um, you know ex- extreme stuff um, as it hits a device, and yeah, potentially report that back in some way. But you've got to have some pretty pretty impressive technology to get uh, that right without um, false positives and, and so on. And we've, we probably haven't quite reached that uh, that point in technology history yet would be <laughs> would be my pick, Bill. Uh, um, absolutely, and it would be life-destroying false positives for some people as well. Poten- yeah, potentially, potentially. Uh, now, smartphone sales are, are, are down. Talking about uh, sales, uh, you shared a figure with me before the show: eight point seven percent year on year uh, for the most uh, most recent quarter. And whilst that started with supply side uh, issues, supply chain issues, uh, now there is actually a big uh, demand drop. Although that's largely coming out of uh, Europe, right? Tell us a tell us a little bit more about that. Well, uh, demand's plummeted, in, particularly in Central and Eastern Europe, and that's because everyone's not buying stuff. They're not spending money because of the war in Ukraine, of course. Um, people are just becoming very cautious about spending. But worldwide, people are, are, are starting to hang on to their phones for longer again um, because, you know, everywhere in the world is, is seeing a cost of living increase. Um, and that flashy lovely new phone with the 56 megapixel camera or whatever can wait six months while you're putting food on the table or or paying your tuition fees or whatever so um there's the the economy is starting to uh, hurt that really you know hurt the market really strongly but one of the, the other things is is that there was a there was a huge dip when the world first went into lockdown a couple of years ago in smartphone sales but before we got to that point, they were already had leveled off and were starting to slowly decline anyway. Um, they went through a huge dip when COVID first came in. Then they bounced back as people went started going out again. Um, and so, in a sense, we're we're down. When we say they're eight point seven percent down, we're eight point seven percent down year on year on a year where there was a, a uh, you know an upswing because there was pent up demand so 
what we're probably seeing now is what the real state of the market is, what the real de demand level is when things, when we smooth out the numbers. And um, the, the days of smartphone growth are behind us. I mean, the penetration of smartphones is so high that there's, there's precious few new customers out there to have. It's become a replacement market. Yeah, um, one thing I found fascinating about these numbers, which have been shared by uh, IDC, is that actually Samsung and Apple are doing okay. Uh, they're, they're up yeah. uh, slightly for Apple, 5.6% uh, for, for, for uh, Samsung, but it is the, the Chinese brands, uh, Xiaomi, uh, Vivo, and uh, Oppo, uh, who have you know fallen back the, the most. And that probably... Uh, speaks t somewhat to the uh, place in the market where you know Samsung and, and Apple uh, sit, and the reality that those that can afford an Apple uh, in a lot of cases can um, probably still you know afford uh, an Apple device. Yeah. Uh, I guess Samsung are a bit more spread out from lower end to higher end um, products. So um, quite fascinating. I don't really know what else to say say about that. I think there's from you know a consumerism aspect, we maybe don't need to be changing our our phones as often as uh, some of us might do, and we're you know we're also seeing devices supported for longer with security updates and uh, operating system updates, which which helps with the longevity of of phones as well. So uh, you know there's there's probably some some positives in there for lots of lots of you know the general population. Um, but maybe not not so much uh, if you're working inside those firms uh, or you've invested in them. Yeah, well, the other thing, Paul, is, is that there's there hasn't really been any dramatic innovation in phones for some time. I mean, the last, the last big thing that happened was the foldable phones, which um, are still a, a, a freakishly small market. I mean, they're, they're only a few percent of the market at best. Um, and other than that, there's, we've, we've run out. I mean, there's there's nowhere for them. To, they're all, they're just plastic or metal and glass slabs. They're um, they're fast enough. They do all the apps that you know you could possibly want. The cameras um, have they continue to improve the cameras, but they're you know they were brilliant five years ago. And um, um, quite frankly, I don't use any of the extra features on the camera. That, that have happened in the last five years, and most people probably don't. So I think we, I think we are. We're running up against the limits of where that can go until there's a, a you know, a completely, a complete rethink of uh, of smartphones. And I thought that folding would be that rethink, but it's just a bit too expensive, and it's just not quite there yet. So you know, a breakthrough in foldable phones could could change this, but otherwise we need. You know, the model needs to change. Yeah, look, I uh, I think you know we've just got to a, a point of uh, a point of maturity, and uh, and and things will be will be somewhat different going going forward. Um, I, yeah, you've raised raised good points there. Uh, certainly, looking back a decade ago, we we were seeing yeah there was there was just you know constant uh, evolution and yeah. uh, and much much bigger improvements, but now those things have have been largely ticked off. It is more uh, of an incremental thing today. So there we go. Well, there's probably a few more things I would have liked to delved into, but I think we're out of time, Bill. So uh, it's been it's been great to catch up. Great to chat through 
what's going on in the big wide world of, uh, of technology. Uh, if folks do want to uh, sign up for your newsletter or, or keep up to date with, uh, with what that you're, uh, you're publishing, uh, just a reminder of um, your website URL. Uh, BillBennett.co.nz with two N's and two T's. Excellent. Thank you, Bill. That's and um, also uh, thank you to our uh, show partners, uh, Cyclone, Aruba, Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Vodafone, and Two Degrees for, uh, for their support. And uh, for those that are maybe uh, have been watching the live stream, you can, of course, find us through your favourite uh, podcast app, whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or uh, uh, any of the varying other uh, players like Pocket Casts, which is my favourite. Uh, so, yeah, have a look there. And, of course, if you're listening to our audio and you'd like to catch us live, then, um, you know, make sure you're, you're following and, and looped in uh, to our, uh, our social channels. And we're across uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, and YouTube there as well. So thanks, everyone. Have a great week. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to uh, chatting again next week. All right. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.